Hi, I'm Liz Hirschnoff-Tolley, and welcome to Capital Coffee Connection. And I am really excited uh, for another episode because today, once again, we are going to meet with an amazing elected leader and not talk about politics and policy, but really talk about the heart and the humanity. Because over the years, as I've gotten to know many of our elected officials, what I've learned is there's really incredible people out there doing really amazing work. But so many times people will just say, oh, he's a politician, oh, she's a politician, almost like they're a cutout and not really understand the heart and the humanity of these people that are actually working really hard and leading. Um, I, I think about the human genome, which basically says that everybody is 96.6% the same, 8 billion plus people on this planet. And the only difference really is 0.4%. And I would love through this podcast and as we live our lives to figure out what that 0.4% is that is different and how we actually can come together with our differences versus figure out versus what we sometimes see, which is actually separating us and dividing us. So um, I'm, I was thinking about our guest today. And then I thought back to a few years ago, my daughter Noah called me and she said, oh, I'm reading this amazing book. It's called Killers of the Flower Moon by David Gran. And I, I said, okay. And she gave me a little bit the idea of it. And then I started reading and I couldn't put it down. And basically it is a story and I'm not going to kill the story in this, but it's about the Osage Nation in the 1920s in Oklahoma, where they found that they had oil in their land and they became very wealthy. And not as a spoiler, but through the process, there was murder, there was intrigue, and there was great conspiracy. And um, it's a phenomenal book. I highly recommend people to read it. But why I bring it up is because today I'm excited to actually speak to a member of the Osage Nation who happens to just be the mayor of Oklahoma City, David Holt. So um, I want to remind us, while we're not talking about politics and policy, Mayor Holt is a Republican mayor. And um, one of the things that I think about is that he's really made it through his words and his action very clear that he runs this city and he leads the city for everybody, Democrats, Republicans, independents. And one of the ways I'll end and actually start his introduction is with his own words. So um, he said, it is more important that we work together and we set aside the things that might divide us and find common purpose. Regardless of what we look like, how we worship, our political party registration, or where we live in the city. This unity has been the secret to our success for a long time in Oklahoma City. We have developed a unique political culture here and we have used it to work together and get things done. So I'm sure uh, David remembers those words, um, but really, that's what this is all about, how we are cooperating, how we are working together. So it is really an honor. And I want to say welcome, David, and thank you for joining me. And I know that it's Capital Coffee Connection, but we're having a virtual coffee. <laughs> yes. Well, first of all, uh, thank you, Liz, for having me on. And thank you for the very generous introduction. And it's uh, my pleasure to be with you. And, and I think you're right. I think the ethos uh, with which I serve Oklahoma City seems to resonate perfectly with the mission of this program. So I'm glad to be here. Yeah, thank you. So we're going to go back to the beginning of David time. And um, I know that you were um, born in Oklahoma, Northeast Oklahoma City. And just 
in Northwest Oklahoma City. And give us a little idea of briefly how it was to grow up and what it was like, what your youth was like and what it was like to grow up in Oklahoma. Sure, I am uh, essentially an only child. My father has a uh, son from a previous marriage, but I basically grew up uh, alone. I lost my mother. My parents were divorced uh, when I was, I don't know, five, six or seven. Um, and, and I was, you know, mainly with my mother who passed rather suddenly when I was 14, um, which I think is certainly, uh, uh, you know, a major experience in anyone's life. And uh, I often find um, that many stories of highly driven people often involve loss of, a, of an important parent in, in their childhood. Um, but my existence in Oklahoma City, uh, growing up in the 80s and 90s, was pretty suburban, I suppose. Um, and you know, uh, middle class, uh, you know, for comfortable. Um, other than you know, personal traumas, but I'm just being like, as a as a general rule, it was a, it was a nice childhood. Um, and uh, you know, my dad was a school teacher, a high school English teacher. Uh, my mom was uh, basically just with me as I grew up. She had been though before that a, a social worker and worked for the state mental health department. Um, and, you know, I'd say just a, a quiet life and, and I was, you know, but I was always interested in being a part of the group of people who were sort of making decisions for the community in which I lived. I was student council president in the sixth grade. <laughs> I, was, I was sophomore class president. I was, I was literally most likely to become president, you know, voted that in my senior year of high school. I mean, I was always interested in, in student council and whatever the, the childhood version of public service, you know. Yeah. So, it made perfect sense that I would, when I did leave um, to go to college, that I would go to Washington D.C. to get my political science degree at George Washington University, and that's, and that's what I did. Right, and uh, going back, what was your experience? If your mom obviously passed away quite early, about mm -hmm. your relationship with the um, Osage Indian Nation, like mm -hmm. where, what, what, what? Because that had to be an influence also in your life. Yeah, I mean, I want to, yeah, I always try to be very candid about this. I'm very proud to be uh, a member of the Osage Nation. Um, and as an adult, I've tried to really connect with that. As a child growing up in Oklahoma City, and my Osage heritage came through my mother. Right. Um, and my grandfather, you know, I understand that like people would not necessarily look at me and go, oh, that guy's Native American, you know. Um, but my grandfather was more visually, you know, Native American, and this would be considered, you know, this would be considered politically incorrect today, but oftentimes in the family was called Uncle Chief, not by me, he wasn't my uncle, but I remember that, you know, like that yeah. some of my relatives would call him that in, in, in their view in an endearing way, but obviously it would probably not be considered appropriate now. But um, so he, and he grew up going to Indian schools and, mm -hmm. and really more culturally, um, in tune with that and obviously was a was a teenager maybe when the reign of terror occurred that is documented in killers of the flower moon um but you know i uh, i i am quick to always point out that having grown up in oklahoma city a couple hours from pawhuska and osage county the, the the home for the last 150 years of the osage nation i didn't really get the same cultural experience i was right. not taken to the annual dances in june i was not i don't have an indian name you know so um so i i, I just think it's important to, to always point that out i've it's certainly it's not been a secret to me that i had that ancestry right. um 
but my family just was not necessarily exposing me to that. And I think part of it was just geography that it just wasn't, if I had grown up in Pawhuska, it probably would have been. But, yeah, it would have been very close. Yeah, so it's a part of my life and I've tried to do maybe a better job with my own kids and taking them to cultural events and um, I'm trying to get them a little, maybe more exposed than I was as a kid. But again, as an adult, I've tried to do a better job and, and yeah. for myself and, and been yeah. more connected. Yeah. So going back a second to high school, do you have like yeah. one of those moments that you think, and you were most likely to succeed, most likely to be president, but on a day-to-day -day basis, was there something that stands out as like this amazing experience or maybe something really embarrassing that happened that you now can laugh about? <laughs> Um, I don't know. I mean, I, if you're talking about like, like, where do you get the, what are like seminal moments along the way that maybe chart your path or give you confidence? I mean, there's a few things that, that I could probably rattle off. Or perhaps a teacher that was like special yeah. in your life. Well, I'm going to start there. And it's a moment, um, I always think like uh, this is a great example of sort of teachers going above and beyond and catering to an interest, never knowing just how important that could ultimately be. I like, okay, so I guess I would have been in the fourth grade when George Herbert Walker Bush was elected president. So 1988. Okay. And um, for whatever reason, I, I was a big supporter of his uh, in the you know, fourth grade of Wiley Post Elementary and was really, really campaigning hard. And so much so that when his inaugural occurred, um, so that would have been on January 20th, 1989, I guess, um, only political nerds like immediately know that. <laughs> no, that's August. January 20th, the year after, yeah. <laughs> that, that just rattles off for me. I recognize most Americans like would have to go look that up. But um, yes, yeah, so, so she, I remember Mrs. Hensley, um, you know, got a TV because this wasn't like a time when necessarily every classroom would have had a television or something. She got a TV, like, you know, checked it out of AV um, so that I could watch the inaugural. But And I was surely the only one who cared. So so I did it like by myself, like, right. you know, off to the side of the classroom um, to watch the inaugural. And I mean, I don't know that I asked for that. I probably wouldn't have even known it was happening, you know, but she, um, you know, she like saw, you know, I, I'd had like Bush signs, you know, on my desk or something. She knew that would be a cool experience yeah. for me. And, and you think like, I mean, I'm, I'm vaguely in touch with her now, you know, like I see her occasionally post on my, you know, social media and stuff. So like, I know she knows that I'm the mayor <clears throat> and you think like, you know, how cool is that to, and, and this is how every teacher should think, right? Like yeah. I'm really checking out this TV to encourage the political interest of this fourth grader, uh, because he may one day be my mayor. You know, I mean, like, and also, and, also it yeah. shows that the teacher heard you. She saw you. She knew who you were, and mm -hmm. and then she carried it out. But she actually understood that you weren't just another student. That this was your passion, and I think that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I think along the way I did well. Um, I, I think I finally realized I was smart in like seventh grade or so. I did really well on on a on a on a Duke administered um, national like SAT thing that that was for only for seventh yeah. graders, and I got like the highest score in the district. And so that was definitely a confidence moment. Um, and then you get into high school, and um, you know it, it definitely could have been a huge setback for me when my mother passed. But you know the whole community of that high school, Putnam City North High School, really rallied around me, I think, and, and uh, nice. you know, really kept me going through all of that. And uh, and, and I was became a National Merit Scholar, and that's what, 
gave me a real opportunity to go to George Washington and, and the rest, I guess, is history. But um, yeah, because I really think if I, I mean, getting to go to Washington, D.C. really create, really establish for sure this path that I'm on today. Yeah. So talk a little bit now about like jobs and I, and you've had a lot of jobs. I mean, you've had a lot of, uh, you know, career directory traje trajectory to get to where you are. But did, no. before you get there, did you have any like, like the regular teenage jobs or did you go straight into politics? I, I didn't like, yeah, I, 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 I don't have like uh, a waiting tables type experience. <laughs> However, I think, uh, so as a child, starting in the third grade, my mother started taking me to Oklahoma Shakespeare in the park. Mm. And um, first for like kind of a class, you know, just for fun, like of acting. And they immediately began casting me and stuff. And so basically from the third grade till I graduated from high school and left the state for a while, um, I was in a show at Shakespeare in the Park basically every summer and winter. Amazing. Uh, and so, I mean, I was in everything at some point or another from Hamlet to Romeo and Juliet, right? And um, and so, though that wasn't really a job, I, I think maybe I got a check for $15 like in my last year or something. Um, <laughs> but it, it was definitely uh, my vocation in many ways during that yeah. time period. And though I didn't pursue that in any way, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a theater major or anything like that. And I have. Oh, well, really so one could argue that politicians and elected officials don't have a theater at all in them. Yeah. Don't have theater. Yeah, well, I, mean, I do think, yes. Yeah. It certainly prepared me for um, the performance aspect of this. And, and I mean, yeah. even if you're authentic, you're still like having to public speak. You're having to, you know, I mean, you're still yes. having to perform, even if it's an authentic performance. Um, so, um, that's sort of the closest thing I suppose I had to it outside of school activity that kind of resembled a job. Um, but I mostly stayed, yeah, I was so, I was one of those people that like had a ridiculous resume in terms of extracurricular activities. I mean, I was just so fixated on school and all the things around school um, that, that I never did that. I never, I never really worked. And I think my dad, who was, you know, essentially my only parent by, for most of high school really didn't want me to do that. I mean, you know, focus on school. Yeah. And fortunately, you know, we, we could do that and we were financially able to do that. Yeah. And sometimes people need to work, but, um, but yeah, I, I, my job was, was theater. And then in college I interned, uh, you know, on the Hill and that was kind of my, my job again, not a very good paying one, uh, but, but certainly uh, the closest but where your passions were. Yeah, I was always, I've always been blessed and thanks to family support um, during those time periods to chase my passions and not really worry about whether they paid anything. Let me, let, I, even though, again, this isn't about politics, but what I'd love for you to do is take a minute because I don't know that everyone who's listening understands just how important mayors are. Doesn't count, doesn't matter mayors of which party, because we, we see things on a national level, we see things as states, but like, I think that there's something about mayors that is hugely, hugely important that sometimes people miss. So, and I have you. So could you just talk for a minute about, so that people can walk away going, ah, now I get why mayors are important. Absolutely. And uh, I'm, I love giving this speech. I mean, you know, there's a natural assumption in sort of the non-political world of America that there's some sort of hierarchy that like local government you must climb a ladder to get to state government and then you climb a ladder to get to federal government. Um, 
I I have worked at every level of government. I have worked in the White House. I have worked in the U.S. Capitol as the Speaker of the House. I have served as a state senator at the state capitol, and now I have worked and served as mayor. Um, so I've seen it all. And and I would say, to me, there's no question the most rewarding, most effective, and and most important to your daily life role is is municipal. Is that is is that played by municipal government, and then and more specifically mayors. I mean, if you think about like your daily life and all the things you do, whether you turn on the water and you take out your trash and you, uh, if, if there's an emergency, you call the police or the fire department, you drive on the streets, um, you go to a park, um, maybe some of your other quality of life aspects have been, have been dictated by the, the actions of, of your local government. I mean, your local government is affecting your life like 50 times a day. And, and to a much lesser degree, your state and national government. And that's not to say that they're irrelevant, but um, they just don't play the same role for most people that their local government does. And yet, the incentives around storytelling, the incentives around the news business, you know, obviously all sort of drive you towards more discussion and more interest in what is happening at the state and federal government. I mean, nobody's going to obviously be able to build a business model around a 24-hour news station that just talks about what, hap- what is happening at Oklahoma City Hall, right? Right. It, they do that for, for the whole country. Um, and for that reason, everybody ends up talking about these national issues. But I often argue it's almost as if it's entertainment. You know, it's, right. it's, it's not really what is affecting your life. These, these, these city council members and mayors and school board members whose names you barely know, if at all, um, are far more impactful to your daily existence than anything the president or the speaker is doing, you know, unless right. like we're literally at some sort of existential war with another country. A lot of that is really just kind of entertainment. It's very tangential to your daily existence. So yeah, I think mayor is where it's at. And yeah. I, have, I have loved serving as mayor. I will continue to love serving as mayor. People come up to me all the time and it's very nice. And there's lots of reasons why this maybe isn't a great idea, but they'll say, oh gosh, I can't, you know, please run for governor. I can't wait till you're governor. And to me, it's like, that is at best a lateral move. You know, like, me, <laughs> I hear you. Cities are the, are the economic and cultural engines of the country. Like nobody says like, nobody says like, I'm going to move to a state really. They, yeah. they think cities they want to live right. in a city and yeah um and they and the cities what is what has identity you know so um you know i i'm i'm 44 maybe i gotta do something different at some point i mean i get that but but like i don't have that desire or or the sense that that's some sort of obvious move up a ladder or a better or more important challenge to me being a big city mayor is the best job in american politics um and I do have that qualifier. I mean, like, I mean, it's a very different job than to be the mayor of a very small town or something. But if you're the mayor of like a top 50 city, um, to me, that's I, I, to me, that's on par with with almost any governor. I just think it, especially if you're in cities uh, of this. Of this as size. dynamic and as big as your city. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. I'm going to switch to now the most impactful, your family. So you have a beautiful wife who's got a job, a career, and you have two amazing children, and they have all been there very supportive. How do you all as a family, and do you have a dog, a cat? (laughs) We have a dog, Logan, the first dog of Oklahoma. So between Logan and your two kids and your wife, like how do you all balance everything? Because I'm sure Logan has a place, a a role in this family that's quite important. Uh, Well, yeah, I I haven't. 
I think everybody with animals uh, ultimately realizes that the animal believes they are running the household, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> yes. He goes to the door and barks. I let him out. He barks again. I let him in. He's like, this guy does everything I say. You know, I mean, like, I'm calling the shots around here. Exactly. Um, it's a yes. I mean, we live a very busy existence. I pride myself on my time management. Um, you know, I'm going to leave you today and I'm going to go pick up the kids at school. Uh, and yet I'm going to still going to have to run out tonight for, for a dinner. But um, but and Rachel is running a state agency. So she's yeah. serving at the state level and it's a state agency de dedicated to juvenile justice. So. Um, yeah, we're incredibly busy, but we, we, we definitely, we eat dinner most, I mean, tonight's an exception, but most of the time we eat dinner together. Right. Um, and, and that is the most important thing. I mean, I try to tell everybody yeah. younger than me who maybe hasn't fully charted their, their path yet to, you know, that like when you're on your deathbed, you never say, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. All of these people, especially this would be true in politics, all of these People that that seem to really care about you right now probably only care about your title, you know. And like the only people who are going to be at that deathbed with you are these family members, and you better you better maintain those relationships. So it, it has to be the priority, of course. I love my job. I love my career. I mean, you know, I'm I hear you. Here. So you try to find, you know, you try to find a balance. But but it's certainly to me, it always has to start with with your family because that's what's that's what's lasting. Absolutely. What is your favorite meal? Uh, I mean, there's really, there's really definitely a number one, and it's Kraft macaroni and cheese. And uh, you'll never, uh, you'll never discourage me from thinking that that is really ultimately the perfect meal. And especially the way I prepare it. I mean, I don't do anything. Like, I don't add anything to it. But I mean, like, you know, the, the pasta just has to be perfectly authentic. Right. You know, that you got to have the right amount of the butter and the milk. And, you know, but I, I mean... I just, I just love crab. I, I don't get it, you know, nearly as much as you would think with the description that I'm giving you right now. But, <laughs> uh, but I do, I do love Kraft macaroni and cheese, and I feel like that has consistently been my answer to this question for for twenty. I love years. it. I happen to, <laughs> I happen to have grown up eating a lot of mac and cheese. Um, okay, favorite music. Um, you know. I'm a child of the 90s, so there's probably a lot more um, like hip hop played in the, the mayor of Oklahoma City's car than my my own residents or anyone else might imagine. But it is but it is a generational thing. But I listen to everything other than I've never really had a real passion for country music. Um, again, I know I recognize I'm in a state with an, an amazing number country. of country stars, but but Oklahoma City's culture is maybe a little slightly different than maybe the state as a whole. And so though I think we appreciate country music, it's not nearly as prominent as people might assume here in the city. But for me, I just never have fallen in love with it. I, I mean, I like some older stuff like Johnny Cash or something, but um, I've never really gotten into modern country. But I listen to everything probably though. I mean, if I'm like on a desert island, you know, what's the music you want to have with you? I mean, it would definitely be you could only have one thing it'd be the catalog of the beatles and i've always been a, mm -hmm. a beatles fan since childhood and i think that was definitely something my mother um introduced me to uh, but even my dad as an english teacher his students still remember that he like played beatles songs for them in the 60s as an example of, of modern poetry and so i, I guess it. i got from both, from both parents and um i think i've been to three or four paul mccartney concerts and or and took my kids to one of them and took my kids to see Ringo Starr as well. So I love the idea, you know, first of all, being there, give, giving them that opportunity right. since they're all 13 and 11. And also the idea that like, 
in 50 years, they'll, they'll be telling people that they saw Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr in concert and how bizarre that will seem and how impossible that will seem. Like, what are you, 100 years old? You know, like, because yeah. um, it did very, it. at a very young age. But yes, I mean, the Beatles are, it's like, the Beatles. I, I can't believe that those two still walk among us. I, I, I wish, I would love to meet one of, either one of them someday while there's still time, uh, because it does seem like it's one of the great, they are the great musical geniuses of, of Western civilization. I agree. Okay, favorite hobby, and maybe it's something you do with your kids, but or something you do that isn't with work and isn't with um, something you have to do, but something you enjoy doing. Yeah, I mean, there isn't really time for that. It can't be that. making macaroni and cheese. We got to go for something else. <laughs> I think the best I could do at this point. I mean, I would love to watch movies and read books, but it's just like not realistic. Um, I think in the near term, what I love just I, I just love being with my family and like going on a trip. I mean. Yeah. We got to go to Italy in the spring, the four of us, you know, for 10 days, went to Rome, Florida, Venice, my kids' first trip to Europe. Um, you know, like those, are, that's just like magical to me. That That's my favorite thing in the world is to be with be with the four of us in any situation, but but trips, you know, like vacations. Where awesome. would you like to go that you haven't gone or where have your kids said they want to go that you haven't gone yet? I feel like I'm a little bit of an Anglophile, and yet I, what I'm about to admit, so so what I'm about to admit feels embarrassing. I've never been to London. I've never been to England. I um, So I think London, the London-Paris okay. swing is probably in our future as a family. Maybe that's next spring break. That sounds like a fun one. Um, do you have a quote or a mantra that you do live by? Like there's something that is in your head as you like are powering through things or that you share with your kids that just sort of is like, it's, it's not, um, it doesn't have to be something that's a famous quote, but just something that you go with. Yeah. Um, well, I think I used to say this because it was like half true and half funny. And I still have used it if, if I get asked this question. Um, I mean, it's 100% true. The, the funny is that like, that this is what I would use, but um, you know, I loved comic books as a kid. I was a mm. big comic book guy. I still own them. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do with them, but um, they're still in boxes. But, um, you know, Spider-Man was my favorite. And his his whole thing was always, with great power comes great responsibility. And, of course, there's other versions of that in, in the Western canon. But the Spider-Man version is, with great power comes great responsibility, which he learned after he shirked his responsibility to catch the burglar who later killed his Uncle Ben, right? So... Um, so I always think like, you know, that's a little bit of, not that I, I now, you know, in elected positions, I get some level of power. Um, but I think like a personal version of that before you achieve those, those, uh, positions is, is just like, well, maybe with great ability, if you have, if you think you have great ability, like do something, you know, productive and service oriented with it. And yeah. I think that to the extent what is really really driven my whole adult life. You know, I, I, I just, I have always worked in public service positions um, regardless of whether they made money or not, because yeah. that's what I feel like is, is important to me. And so, I mean, I think in many ways that mantra has, has dictated the whole path of my life. Um, there's a few others probably in a sense. I mean, I think people, you know, need to always respect each other's basic humanity. I think we should always just be kind. I mean, I don't, it, yeah. it, it amazes me how many people, especially in leadership positions, think that they equate leadership with being mean, you know, or, or power, power. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, yeah, I just uh, be, you know, and especially in modern American national politics, I never realized how much I just prized basic human decency, you know, <laughs> like, I, you know, I there's, you. there's a lot of Republicans like me who have been sort of alienated by the modern Republican Party because we took basic human decency for granted and we were all focused on like, you know, national security and tax policy. And then suddenly we realized that we couldn't take basic human decency for granted and these policy issues suddenly seemed less important. So um, yeah, when I'm looking for political leaders now, I care less about their policy positions and really more about kind of their character and their, and their kindness and their basic- And their humanity. humanity. Yeah. 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 Full circle. Okay. So uh, we're going to, we, we have this thing towards the end that I love to play and, and you may have played it with your kids. It's called kiss, Mary kill, but we do kiss, Mary trash. Are you familiar with it? The ranking yeah, I, game? I mean, there's like, yes. And there's like more vulgar versions of this, obviously. Oh, well. way more vulgar, but we yeah. don't go there. You do that with, you know, in, in your own place. But so there's just a handful of them that I ask each time that are kind of fun and you can answer them as you wish. But if you have some sort of a clarification, please go, you know, tell us why you answered it that way or just answer it. Um, so you're going to, what you kiss, what you marry, what you trash. Right. Okay. Seasons. I love my wife. You know, I don't want to marry anybody else, but you know. No, this is all just part of the game. If I said who you're going to kiss, marry, and trash, and I just said your wife, you'd say Mary. But we're we're moving on. Um, seasons: summer, spring, winter. I see how this works. It, it really does work. Um, <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna trash the winter. I really don't like. I don't care for the cold. Um, my kids would probably feel differently because they're still young enough to sled or something. But I I see very little merit in it. So we'll trash that. Um, we will. Um, we will kiss the. Uh, we're just going to leave a season out, I guess. But we're gonna we're gonna kiss the the summer because it's nice, but you know it kind of goes on a little too long. It can get a little too hot. Um, so you know, kiss feels like a more a more Good. short term uh, engagement. And we're gonna marry spring because, like, I mean, that's that's when the weather is perfect and you can eat outside. I mean, obviously, these are these are Oklahoma City centric answers. You know? Absolutely, um, they're appropriate for where you are. Might, might give you a slightly different take, but um, but in Oklahoma City, I would marry the spring. We don't get a lot of good outside time here in the city. I mean, the downside is severe weather happens in the spring, but it's not as bad as people think. Um, meals. This is an easier one. Breakfast, okay. lunch, or dinner? <laughs> um, we'll really take them in order of likelihood to actually occur in my life. So Just go for it. Exactly. We'll marry dinner because I do eat dinner. We will we will kiss lunch because it happens like half the time, um, and we'll trash breakfast because uh, I never eat breakfast. And this is not because I you know it's just like the way I've lived my life and sort of the driven nature of the day. I just can't slow down enough to even think about breakfast. I got to get going. Gotcha. And um, and lunch, it's like you know you just the day passes you by and it's like it's three o'clock and what happened to lunch? You know, exactly. Then you just wait for dinner to happen. Okay, last one. Basketball, football, baseball. Okay, well, we are, of course, the proud home. This is a defining characteristic of Oklahoma City in the last 15 years. We're the proud home of an NBA team. So it's Mary basketball. Um, and, um, you know, we're kind of football country, of course. So we'll, we'll kiss football and we'll, we'll trash baseball. I do want to say I like our minor league Dodgers team, which is the, far, the AAA yeah. team, Los Angeles Dodgers. 
Um, but, uh, but you know, I had to, I had to put him somewhere. So we'll have to. How's your basketball team doing? How did it do? We're on the upswing. Um, you know, we were very spoiled. We, we were in the NBA finals in year four of our, of our journey with the NBA, but, um, then we had to kind of go through a rebuild and now we're sort of like coming out of that. Um, and we have, uh, we have a big star in Shea Gilgis Alexander, who we got from the LA Clippers, um, who's coming to his own and we drafted several, um, several exciting players. It's very young. It's like the youngest team in the league, um, but they made the play-in tournament last year. And I think there's high expectations for making the playoffs this year. And then we'll see where okay. it goes. And you and I sit here, our community is engaged in a big conversation about a new arena so we can secure a long-term future with the team. Because that really, I could do a whole podcast on this, but you know, the, having a major league sports team has been a clear differentiator for us. At cities our size, it really helps you sort of build an identity on a national and international level that's otherwise hard to do. Yeah. And so when we didn't have, before we got the thunder, we were the 31st largest city. And now at 15 years later, as you and I sit, sit here, we're the 20th largest city. Right. That's an amazing movement in just 15 years. But a lot of us attribute it to that move into major league status that kind of in American life sort of symbolizes your move into the top tier of American cities. Yeah. Now we're at the last question, which I've asked everybody, because to me, it's a really important to understand what is what is your definition of joy? What brings you joy? And if you if somebody has joy and then they can spread it to others, what does that look like in how you live your life? I think joy and happiness generally come from a sense of gratitude and part of like this the sense that Americans are not happy anymore seems to stem from a loss of gratitude, uh, um, a loss of being satisfied with the unbelievable progress that we have made uh, in so many ways, whether yes. they're material, um, whether they're about, I mean, it's of course important to continue to work on equity, but my goodness, look at how far we've come as a civilization, you know, in the last few hundred years. So um, I just think like, to me, I'm most joyful if I'm most uh, conscious of how lucky I am to be living in America in the year 2023 um, and, and it's, easy to get of course it's human nature to get bogged down in all the problems and there's people who just kind of live their whole life they're always worrying about always concerned about what's wrong with life you know um and uh you know it, it just is so true that people are are not necessarily their happiness is clearly not dictated by their material um their you know their wealth their geography it's like you can meet this person living in a village in the forest, uh, you know, in a different continent who seems happier than this billionaire. And it's always like this human conundrum to understand why, but it's like, it's because they're grateful. They're grateful to be alive, you know? <laughs> and, and they're grateful for their family. Yes. So to me, joy is gratitude and we should all be grateful because we, yes, we have, whatever it is somebody has more but i guarantee you somebody on this planet has less and certainly has, that is that is very historically true if you think about the general american experience yeah. we we live in such a narrow band of the human experience over the course of millions of years 
Um, and it is so great to be alive right now where we're at. And, and I understand it doesn't mean we can't improve, but like, it's really important that we, that we appreciate that. So I think that's, um, for me, that's where joy emanates, obviously in a more personal and specific level, my joy is greatest as we talked about already when I'm with my family and just able to just enjoy the world, visit the world, have new experiences and share those with the three people most important. I love that. Well, I want to th say thank you. First, your answer is very meaningful and I appreciate it. And I hope when others hear it, they will, because we do have a lot to be uh, grateful for and with gratitude does come joy. Um, so I'm going to say thank you so much. This has been amazing. And I am only letting you go because you have to pick up your kids. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I could go on and this has been enjoyable. Thanks for what you're doing. Thanks for trying to be a light in the world. We need that. And uh, I appreciate making this connection. Thank you.